wife and Irene's life and for you honoring him, testifying to him. Let me invite you to turn to the book of Colossians this morning. Um, you'll be delighted to hear. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning, Colossians chapter 3, as we consider God's word. Just a few verses for us. I think perhaps uh, appropriate for the day in which we find ourselves. Colossians 3, we'll begin in verse 20. We consider verse 20 and verse 21. Hear now the word of God. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Dear God, we thank you for the passage in front of us, which we can consider this morning. We're eager to hear from you once again as your people have gathered, those who have been redeemed by, the, by our crucified Savior and our resurrected Lord here coming together today. We're to sing you our praises and to offer you our prayers and to hear from you through your word. And so we pray even now through your spirit that you would speak to us. We pray in particular for the children here, those who are living under their parents' roof. We pray that they would hear the word that you have for them. And for fathers as well. Grandfathers, I think even mothers and grandmothers we could apply this to. God, will you help us to follow your plan for our family? We might honor you and enjoy the blessings and the fullness of life that you would give. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was a handful of years ago that a couple of my boys discovered uh, the Jason Bourne movies. And so uh, they quickly rolled up magazines and began to beat each other. Um, it was a proud day as a dad, as I looked on with a glow in my eyes. Um, I, I do enjoy those movies. I'm not a big movie guy, but I do like the Jason Bourne movies. Uh, my, my favorite is the first one. And there's a scene in which uh, Jason and Marie are holed up in a, in a little uh, cottage, I guess, outside of Paris. And, and uh, uh, Marie gets up in the middle of the night, and she finds Jason standing over the children's bed. And he is like this superpower of never sleeping somehow. And there he is, and it's very creepy, and you wonder what's going on. And I think the, the movie directors were trying to like communicate this change in his life. He's moving from an assassin to this protector of these children. Well, the next morning, if you've seen the movie, the dog is missing, which signals that danger has come. Eamon, the man of the house, and the children are told immediately to flee to the basement, and Jason goes and gets the shotgun. Marie is a bit freaking out at this point, and she says, we've endangered the children, and Jason looks at her with like steel in his eyes, and he says, that's not going to happen, right? And I think that is pretty cool, right? <laughs> man, what a man, right? I will, I'm going to protect this family. I was re actually recently reading an article on that scene, and my, my inner desire to be Jason Bourne was, was rebuked, I'm afraid. <laughs> this author writes, the real hero is Eamon, the frumpy figure sitting in his robe drinking the morning coffee, the average dad. Eamon was no doubt intended to be a foil against the masculinity of Bourne, but I see it the other way around. Sure, Bourne can find the gun, but can he find the plunger? <laughs> Besides, Eamon was not... 
was man enough to care for his two young children while his wife was away. Would you leave your kids with Jason Bourne? I think not. When Eamon realizes how Bourne's irresponsibility drew his children into danger, he instinctively goes into lecture mode. Who has the nerve to lecture Jason Bourne? A dad. Dads are deadly and impromptu homilies on misbehavior. Clearly, Eamon is the only adult in the house. You could stand over your children, stand over children and romanticize about them all day long, but this is meaningless. Come talk to me when you have put down your weapon and changed their diaper. He concludes saying, think about it. In a few days, Eamon will have to pay for the propane tank. He'll have to repair the door Jason kicked in as he entered the house illegally. He'll pay for therapy for his children due to the post-traumatic stress. And then he'll face the most necessary evil known to men, the Homeowners Association. <laughs> I still think Jason Bourne's pretty cool, right? But these arguments, they did land pretty well with me, to be honest. I think protecting our family as dads probably doesn't have much to do with kicking a door in. My kids uh, are, are equally or even more so uh, into the Marvel movies. I'm sure your kids are. And, and sometimes they ask, ask me, Dad, what, what, kind, what superhero would you want to be? Would you, you want to be Iron Man? You want to be Spider-Man? You want to be Ant-Man? What kind of man do you want to be? And I, I always want to be like clean the dishes man. I don't know if there's like a superpower where you could clean dishes in like 15 seconds, but that's the kind of guy I want to be. Or, or drive the kids around less man. Or, or how about, um, you know, persistently patient man or more consistently godly man. That seems like a pretty good superhero. That I, I think that might be even better protection for our kids. We find ourselves, of course, as you know, now for a number of times in Colossians chapter 3, where we are learning that our belief in the gospel simply does not impact our relationship with God, though it does, but it impacts every part of our life. It leads to a transformation in the relationships we have. We saw last time this wonderful summary verse in verse 17 in which Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. In other words, all of life, whether you speak or whether you act, is done through God's power, according to God's will, and for God's glory, including and especially the relationships within your family. That the true Christian faith is not simply what you think about Jesus, but it is in many ways how you parent your children or how you interact with your spouse. So we find ourselves in Colossians 3, a section here that will go all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, which uh, theologians or historians have called the household code. Household code. You'll find these in Ephesians 5 and 6, the parallel passage, uh, 1 Peter 2 and 3, Titus chapter 2, these household codes. These are not exclusive to scripture. You'll find these in very, uh, in very many ancient literature outside of Christianity. They would write about household codes, the expected behaviors of members of a household. And Paul will identify three different relationships. He begins with husbands and wives, then he moves to parents and children, and lastly, masters and domestic slaves. Um, and and you'll, you'll note here that, that Paul, of course, when he writes about the responsibilities of the members of a home or a family, he does so with a very strong Christian bent. And this is what will differentiate it between, uh, many things will differentiate it between the other uh, non-Christian household codes. But in, in particular, what we'll find Paul uh, explaining is that our duties within the house have very much have to do with our relationship with God. 
Um, that the instructions given are because of Christ's authority over us. So we'll read, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Or children, obey your parents because that pleases the Lord. Or, or, or slaves, work heartily for it is the Lord you are serving. Or masters, he reminds them, you have a master in heaven. In fact, seven times in these nine verses, Paul will emphasize Christ's lordship. And, and is arguing that the lordship of Christ is to be expressed in the day-to-day, indeed the family life. Today we're going to consider the relationship between fathers and children. Verses 20 and verse 21, as you know, you might note that I'm skipping verses 18 and 19. I'm skipping that phrase, you know, verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands. And you might think I'm skipping it because I'm afraid to preach that. Um, And and though I am afraid to preach that, that's not why I'm skipping it. Uh, I just simply thought it was Father's Day. We'll just jump down a couple verses. Uh, We'll tackle fathers today, and God willing, we'll move back up to husbands and wives next time. And as we consider uh, parenting, I I do trust this will be helpful for us as we think about God's uh, dictates and commands for us, in particular as fathers. Um, Sometimes people ask me, by the way, what's my favorite book on parenting? What book has impacted me as a dad more than any other book? And and in in case you're interested, you might might wanna read this one. It's the Bible, okay? Um, The Bible, I think, is an exceptional book on parenting, especially the book of Proverbs, which is abundantly helpful and practical but all of scripture is even as we learn that God is our father and we are his children and how does our how does our father handle his rebellious children he is in many ways doing so as a model no of course not primarily but it's incredibly helpful to model our fathering after the father that we have in heaven I do think it's important even as we begin to consider this passage that we remind ourselves that we do have a God, we do have a creator, we do have a Lord, but we are told to call him Father. Father. Later we'll pray in this service, won't we? We'll pray as Jesus taught us to pray, and he did not teach us to pray, our God who is in heaven. But we will pray, our Father who is in heaven. Jesus told us we have a Father in heaven, but not everyone does. Let's not get confused with what our world says and talks about the universality of the fatherhood of God. Jesus would teach in John chapter 8, if God were your father, you would love me. Not everyone has God as their father, only those who love Christ. God can become your father today, even as our brother Doug testifies. God would adopt you today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're delighted that you're here with us. You're welcome. I do tell you, based upon the authority of God's word, that God would delight into bringing you into his family by trusting in Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that later. Of course, I know some of you, even on this day, on Father's Day, feel a mixture of emotions. Some of you, this is a difficult day, isn't it? Because the father I'm going to describe is not the father that you had or have. So I pray that that sadness would be mixed with joy. As you remember, in some sense, you do have a father that's even far better than the one I'll describe. That God is your father. And so you would listen with two ears this morning. That one, you would listen as how to raise children and children, how you can respond to your parents. But then the other ear, you would listen to consider how it is your father in heaven loves you and guides you and how you should obey him. And I I think this is a wonderful time to consider these things, especially in the life of Hamilton Baptist Church. You, you might be aware that we now have over, well over, a hundred children who are part of this faith family. I find that amazing and glorious and so thankful that God is bringing families to this church. 
And this gives us incredible ministry opportunities, growing ministry opportunities. The elders have been discussing and praying about what that means for our church. We hope to be able to, uh, to kind of lead uh, in the weeks to come as to what that might look for us as we in particular want to faithfully minister to the children that we have. And so I'm excited to explore those ideas as, we, as God leads us. And uh, you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. So simply two points for us this morning. Uh, the first, dealing with children. Point number one, children. Obey your parents. And you know it, I'm not being creative at all, for I'm just quoting scripture there in verse 20. Children, obey your parents. Now this assumes a couple things about children, doesn't it? It assumes, one, that when this letter was read, children will be where? There, when it was read. We'll find out in chapter 4 that Paul wants this read in the church service. He understands this to be scripture when she's writing. So you would read this, this letter in the context of the gathered church and their worship, and he assumes that there are going to be kids there. So, the, so our, our gathering uh, on Sunday mornings is not to be simply an adult gathering, but it is a family gathering. Now, of course, you know we have a ministry called Children's Worship, and, and we do that during the sermon time for, for to help some of these fa our families and that their kids might learn uh, there as we're learning here. But we as a church specifically limit the ages of our children's worship far more than most uh, children's worship programs in neighboring churches. And we do so intentionally because we want our kids here with us. And even if they can't understand everything I'm saying or the preacher's saying, they can certainly watch mom and dad interact with scripture, watch mom and dad worship God, watch mom and dad pray to him. And I think they might learn far more from that than you realize. He assumes children will be there. And he also assumes that children are moral individuals, that they are responsible for their act. He specifically speaks to them. This would be very unique in the ancient codes outside of scripture. Um, he doesn't ever, uh, the, the writers of, of these uh, ancient household codes never speak to children. They just speak to the, those in authority, speak to fathers and husbands and masters. They never speak to wives or slaves or children. And yet Paul thinks, no, I want to talk to children here because they are responsible for obedience to God's commands. They're to be instructed and uh, led. And so you see the command is very simple, don't you? It doesn't take a great deal of insight to understand it. Children, obey your parents. So let me just speak to the children, in particular teenagers, young, young people. I'm talking to you now and will be for the next 15 minutes or so. You are to obey your parents. Now you've heard that before. I want you to understand your parents didn't make that up. Okay? That's not their idea. That's God's idea. And it's what God commands over and over and over in Scripture. I mentioned the book of Proverbs. And you could consider that in verse 20, chapter 23 and verse 22 when the proverb writer says, Listen to your father who gave you life, which is a pretty good gift, I think, and do not despise your mother when she is old. So you might be a teenager here. You think, what should I do with my life? Well, I'll tell you what you could do with your life, teenagers. You can listen to your dad. Okay? That's what God says. What would you say? Is that all I can do? No, there's something else you can do. You cannot look down on your mother. That's God's instruction to you. We read on and we read, may your father be glad, father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. The opposite is true, for we read in the book of Proverbs, it is the foolish child who neglects what his father is saying. It is the foolish daughter who despises instruction that comes her way. So if you, young person, if you neglect your parents' teaching, the Bible calls that foolish behavior. One more. It's my personal favorite from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17. Uh, the eye that mocks the father, the, 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 uh, that scorns obedience to a mother, 
will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. Okay? And all God's people said, all right, okay. In fact, if you're looking for like a pastoral gift, I wouldn't mind that framed. I could put that in my dining room, right, above my uh, chair, right? I mean, that's pretty serious. That's a violent metaphor, isn't it? That's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. God wrote that. Why would God put something so violent in here? This, of course, not, he's not, it's a metaphor. It's not actually going to happen. But God is, God is using very powerful, even violent language because it's very clearly important to God. It would not have made his Ten Commandments if it was not. In fact, Paul will talk from the book of Romans how there will be people who are given over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He says they will become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. That doesn't sound good at all. He goes on to explain what is it that they'll be doing. They'll be full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He continues, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They are disobedient to their parents. Now, you might be alarmed at that last one. You say, what's, the, what's disobedient to your parents doing in there with all these biggies, like murder and envy and strife and all the rest? It's in there because it is a biggie in God's estimation. God takes this, in my mind, I think, by Scripture's instruction, very, very serious. So, children, you are to obey your parents. I would tell you to do so is not only biblical, it is wise. It will save you a tremendous deal of trouble in the long run. God has given you parents not to stifle you, not, not, not to injure you, not to inhibit you, but to form you and to guide you. And so you are to follow them. You are not to do what feels right in the moment. You are not to do what gets you out of trouble the easiest. You are to do what your parents say. And when you obey them, you are in some ways saying to your dad and mom, I agree I need your training. Your counsel to me is useful. Your demands upon me are biblical. And I gladly accept your instruction. And if, in fact, if you want to give your parents like a little heart attack, like not a big one, sit them down and say that to them, right? I agree I need your training. Your counsel is useful. Your demands upon me are biblical. And I gladly accept your instruction. Right? You say, why would I do that? Young people are asking, why would I do that? You do so because you are a Christian. Because you are a follower of Christ. That your faith as a Christian young person is not simply reduced to I avoid those bad things over there. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not simply the things you avoid and you should avoid those, but it is what you actually do the things that you give yourself to. In fact, you notice Paul's rather comprehensive, isn't he? He says, obey your parents, and then he tells us in what? In everything. Obey them in everything. And I know the more I preach this passage, the more parents are enjoying this, aren't they? Right? Some of your parents are memorizing this verse right now. You're, you're going to hear this over lunch. They obey your parents in everything. Bedtime, what to watch on TV, schoolwork, friendship, dating relationships, chores, in everything. In everything. What if they tell me to sin? Well, then you go to Acts 5.9, the Acts 5.29 principle. We read, we must obey God rather than men. Your parents tell you to sin. They tell you to lie, cheat, whatever. You obey God at that point, but in everything else, 
you obey your parents. And I understand this is a challenge. Don't, I know this is not easy. Because you live in a society when everyone is telling you to do the opposite. You live in a society when everyone is telling your parents are idiots, they don't know what they're doing, they're fools, they're always the bumbling fools on the television programs, always the kids running to the rescue, dad is always clueless, right? You hear this from Hollywood, you hear this from our culture, you hear this from your friends. You're not, you shouldn't obey your parents, you shouldn't follow your parents. And so I think Paul is very helpful here. He not only gives us a command, but he tells you why. He gives you a motivation. And I find it extraordinary. For he says there in verse 21, children, obey your parents in everything. For, because, for this reason, this pleases the Lord. See, when you obey your parents, you please God. Not just your parents. I find that stunning. But do you want to please God? Does that sound like fun? Bring honor to Jesus? Yeah. How do I do that? Well, you do it when you take out the trash. When your dad tells you to. You do it when you set the table. When your mom asks you to, it pleases the Lord. You say, might say, well, why does it please the Lord to obey my parents? I think, he doesn't tell us, so I'm going to speculate here just a minute. I, I think obeying your parents is like the training ground on learning to obey your heavenly father. I think you're learning to obey your unseen father in heaven by obeying your earthly father whom you do see. And so I simply ask you, before we move on to dads, children, are you obedient to your parents? When they ask you, to, time to put down the video game, whatever it is, is your obedience immediate? Is it cheerful? Is it delayed? Is it grumbling? When they say you can't watch that movie or go to that party, do you respond with a trusting respect? Or do you resent them because of it? I think real obedience comes from the heart, right? I mean, we could do what people say, but our heart is still rebelling. I mean, you could sit down when they tell you to sit down, but in your heart, you're still standing up, right? right? That's not the kind of obedience God is speaking of here. And when you rebel against your parents, you know what you're learning? You're learning to rebel against God. You're practicing resentment towards God. Some of you children might have something to confess. I have no particular insight into any of your lives, but I wonder if some of you are lying to your parents. I wonder if some of you are deceiving your parents, sneaking behind their back. You might have something to say to them. This might be a good day on a Father's Day. I think your father would, would delight to hear, Dad, I'm sorry, please forgive me, if that's needed. Your parents, I understand, may not be the best parents. They don't get everything right. I, I know that to be true. But God has given them to you. He has. And so you want a mission for life? I spent, you know, I spent seven years as a youth, youth pastor. One of the things I love, I miss about working with teenagers is they're visionaries. They're always dreaming. What do I want to do in my life? Who do I want to become? What can I do? Let me give you a mission. How about for the next month, you say, I'm going to obey my parents in everything. Right? Maybe that's a week. That's you try a week. Right? In everything they ask, I'm going to obey them with a cheerful and a God-honoring heart. And I wonder, if at the end of that week, you might not just find yourself closer to your parents, but far closer to Christ because of it. After all, you will bring him great pleasure in doing so. Well, fathers, uh, you are to encourage your children. Fathers, encourage your children. For we read in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The word, you might be interested to know, fathers is some tra sometimes translated parents, though not usually. 
but it is a couple places in Scripture. So I think this, in some sense, applies to moms. So moms, I hope you're tracking with me a little bit here. But I do think this is primarily addressed to dads, which, of course, assumes that the responsibility, at least the primary responsibility of raising children is the dad, which is interesting, isn't it? Because we often don't think that. We think, well, that, that's mom's job, like, right? Or that's the Sunday school teacher's job, or that's the youth pastor's job to point them to Jesus. But I think Paul has something else in mind. He says, dads, you, you need to be involved. Fathers have a unique role in the raising of their children. Not the only role, certainly, um, but have a very powerful role indeed. And so we are given, uh, they are given to us by God, right? And it is the greatest honor. I think about Father's Day this day, and I think about how honored I am that God has blessed me with so many children. And dads, you remember those days. And some of you, uh, it hasn't been long since you got that little you know, purplish, squawking little child in your arms, right? And you held that child, and, and it kind of, the, you just immediately felt the weight of what was on you, that this child is made in the image of God, and this child has given to me, and this child one day will inhabit eternity, either with Jesus or without Jesus. And God says, here they are. I want you to raise this one. And it is somewhat stunning and awesome and it seems like that happened to me just a few years ago, and now I'm teaching some of them to drive, right? Time is slipping through our fingers, dads, and we spend time on our careers, don't we? And we should, I trust, and we enjoy our hobbies, and that's good, but our children are growing up around us. And so we're told, fathers, do not provoke your children. We're somewhat surprised he doesn't say, children, don't provoke your fathers, right? Which would be a good command as well, but that's not what he says. We're also, I think, surprised it's not a positive command. You find that interesting? He gives us something as dads to avoid, not something necessarily to do. He didn't say fathers govern your children or uh, teach your children or raise your children. Or, uh, I, think, I think that's implied, but he wants to focus on, on hey, God, fathers, avoid provoking their, your children. Right? He, he makes no reference, in other words, to the positive use of parental authority. He warns against its misuse. The danger, he warns us of the danger, dads, listen to this, of misusing the authority that God has given to us. He is seeking as dads to rein us in a bit. That we might use our authority not in an overbearing or harsh way. That we would not provoke our children. Maybe your translation says exasperate your children. And some of you even here sitting as adults, you, you grew up with that dad, didn't you? Your dad was absent, your, your dad was there but he didn't care much, your, your, your dad was uninvolved, your dad was mean, your dad was harsh. Some of you grew up with a dad, uh, sadly, who was abusive. And so for many of us, Father's Day is somewhat hard, isn't it? Because that's the day we have to contact our dad, and there's not much of a relationship anymore with dad. Maybe last time you talked to him was Christmas or something like that, and now you know you have to reach out to dad today, and it's very difficult because that relationship is broken. And so for us dads who still have children in our home, how important, therefore, it is to take hold of this admonition to not provoke our children. In fact, Paul tells us, uh, just like he gave children a reason for obedience, he gives dads a reason for their obedience and not to provoke their children. As you read on in verse 21, he says, lest they become discouraged. He doesn't tell us discouraged in which way, but I wonder if they'll be discouraged in their attempts to do verse 20. They'll be discouraged in their attempts to, to uh, obey you and thereby please God. 
I think children naturally want to please their father. I think we all want our dads to be proud of us. I think that's a gift that God gives to fathers. We don't want to, as dads, trample on that gift and crush their spirit and cause them to lose heart. We don't want to be a discouraging presence in our kids' life. This world is discouraging enough. The home, the dad, has to be a refuge from which to flee from that. And blessed is the kid who says, when I'm discouraged, when I'm overwhelmed, I'm running to my dad. He is a safe place. And he is one who will encourage me. Dads, I don't know. Do you want a purpose in your life? I'm 46 years old. I'm kind of coming out of the midlife time, right? And you reevaluate your life a little bit. And are you meeting your goals? Are things going the way you want? You know, I want a purpose for the rest of my life. Well, maybe, rather than buying a convertible, you could do that if you want, right? But rather than getting hair plugs or whatever it might be, okay? Okay? How about this? Try this for a month. If months too long, try it for a week. I will intentionally be a source of encouragement for my children. I will speak and act in such a way that they find me to be a great source of joy and confidence. So how can we do that? I wish he told us. He doesn't lay out, okay, here's how we go about it. I actually, a couple weeks ago, asked my kids, gathered my kids around and said, okay, kids, how can I, as your father, make obedience easier for you? Okay. And one of them said, have less rules. Okay. <laughs> so I, got, I, I ignored that one. Uh, a teenage son said you could give us dead arms. right? And so I, I kind of ignored that one as, as well. But we, we sat there and we talked about it. And I've been, been thinking in scripture and contemplating. And, uh, and so I, I would like to lay out for you, and we'll, we'll fire through these quickly, Ten ways not to provoke your children. Okay? Don't provoke your children. Ten ways not to provoke your children, none of which will be particularly insightful. Okay? In other words, I'm not going to say anything that you're going to say, wow, I never thought about that. Right? Oh, that's interesting. Never consider that. So this is, I, I find these all to be scripturally commanded or at least biblically implied. We're not going to have time to look at the scriptures. Um, but I, I, I pray that this might be helpful for you. I, I don't even want you to write them down. I, I just, I'm hoping that maybe for us dads here, maybe one of them is like, okay, that's good. I need to hear that. You don't need to worry about all ten. Look for that one that God wants you to hear, maybe two. Okay, ten ways not to provoke your children. Number one, thou shall not ignore your children. There's an off-quoted survey. Perhaps you've heard it. I don't know how recent it is, but I, I've heard it many, many times that fathers spend an average of 37 seconds a day individually with their children. 37 seconds of one-on-one -on -one time with their kid. And you want a disheartened child, you get one that is guided by this shadowy kind of authority who leaves before they're awake, returns around dinner, and then heads to the couch with a remote in his hand and never has time to sit down with him and talk to them. All he does is issue commands. So spend time with your kids, talk to your kids, ask them questions, right? I guarantee your kids are far more fascinating than what's on the television. I guarantee it, right? And so talk to them. Find delight in them. So a question I like to ask my kids, what's the best thing that happened today? It really reveals their heart, gets them to think, what's the worst thing that happened to you this week? Right? It, it, oh, ask open-ended questions. Be with them. Enjoy them. It's not a chore. It's a gift. It's a joy. Number two, thou shall not have favorites. Thou shall not have favorites. And we've seen this in our study of, of the book of uh, Genesis. Have we Remember Isaac's house? You got, uh, you know, uh, uh, Isaac loved Jacob and, 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 and mama, uh, excuse me, Isaac loved Esau and mama loves uh, Jacob, 
right? And you saw how that worked out. And, of course, Jacob's going to commit the same mistake, and he's going to have Joseph as his favorites. And so we, we can't have favorites. And some of you grew up in houses with favorites, and your parents had nicknames, and your, your sister was sweetheart, and you were dummy, right? And, uh, okay, and, and it's, you, you know, you would come to our kids and say, well, you know, your sister didn't get a C, or, uh, you know, your brother keeps a clean room. They don't need to hear that. I don't think that's particularly helpful. Right? And so we need to be aware of favoritism. We find this to be a danger in the Bible over and over again. And so it, it, we need to uh, 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 be aware of it because it leads to great evil, as we see in Scripture. Number three, thou shalt not be hard to please. I think many children experience constant criticism and fault finding. They never know what wrong they're going to do next, but they know whatever they do, it's not going to be good enough. Right? And that's an exhausting way to live. Right? Just when you think you've hurdled the bar, dad raises it a couple more inches and clips that back foot. If you are impossible to please, they will stop trying. So thou shalt not be hard to please. Or four, thou shalt not blow your top. Many men know how to control themselves when they're outside the home. But they get in the home and a different man emerges. And, and, and men have a tendency to take all their uh, frustration that they've stored up throughout the day because of this boss and this coworker and this accident and this paycheck, and they take it out on the very ones that God has commissioned them to protect, their children. And dad, rather than becoming the protector, becomes the enemy. How many children are discouraged because their dad had a bad day at work and decided to take it out on them? So if you are given to slamming doors, if you are given to yelling, if you are punching walls, if you are given to verbal abuse, and God forbid physical abuse, you are creating a reign of terror in your home, and your kids may be compliant, but they are most definitely discouraged. And they are living in fear of you. They are wary of you like a, like a dog that they sometimes can pet but occasionally bite. And they will shift from a natural desire to please you to just trying to survive your home. And for survival's sake, they will become calculated and deceitful and maneuvering when they're young. And when they're big enough and not so afraid of you, they will outright rebel. I will tell you, uncontrolled anger in your home from dad will have lifelong consequences. And no matter how many times you say, cry and say you're sorry after you put your hand through a wall or whatever it is, they are going to learn that dad is dangerous. And that will carry on into adulthood. And so if you get uh, prone to to blow your time. There's a place for godly, controlled, loving, holy anger. But if you are losing your temper with your kids, not only do you need to ask for forgiveness, you need help. For your children's sake and God's sake, get help. Stop being so prideful and say, I'll candle it next time. They are growing up in your house. You only have so much time. This is far more important than your career. Get help. Some children, I have no particular insight in anybody's life, but I can almost guarantee some, some children right now are praying silently in their heart 
God, will you let Daddy please hear Pastor Stephen right now? Will you let him repent? Number five, thou shalt celebrate your children. Dad, you should be your children's biggest fan. Not that they, everything they do is okay, not that they don't sin and need admonishment, they do. But they should think, above all, my dad is in my corner. You should learn to celebrate small victories and partial success. You should express how proud you are of them. If the only time they hear from us is when they're in trouble, that relationship is not going to go well. Sometimes you need to sit them down and say, listen, sweetheart, I've been watching you, and I'm so proud of the young lady you're becoming. Son, I've been looking at you, and I've been seeing you're trying so hard here, and I'm so thankful that God has given you to me that I get to be your dad. My kids have played, uh, as you know, uh, ball for, for many, many years. They've had many coaches. They usually put them in two baskets. You've got the coach who, they're, who they want to do well because they're afraid of messing up, and then they have the coach who they want to excel because they know the coach loves them, and they just want to please the coach. I know which kind of coach my kids like. I know which kind of coaches I appreciate. I don't want to create a home where my kids' primary motivation of obedience is avoiding punishment or discipline. I, I, want, I want to create a home where they want to obey because they want to bring me joy as a quick to celebrate father. I think we can learn from our father in heaven. We don't have a father in heaven who, who says to us, you better do better or I'm going to get you. And we have a father in heaven who we get to please. I get to please God. What greater joy is there? Number six, thou shalt love the child you have, not the child you want. Right? You don't love what they might become. If they only tried a little harder, you'd love them as the gifts that they are. And as, as I, I've been parenting now for 17 plus years, I've become increasingly aware of my shortcomings as a father. I'm not a model father. I'm not trying to put myself up here as a model father. But one thing I will tell you that God has ingrained in my own heart, and I hope it pays dividends in the decades to come, is I have endeavored to communicate to my children that my love is unconditional to them. And I have done so. We have created a little family catechism. It's the Karn family catechism. You know, a catechism is a question and answer, right? And so if someone asks the question, they ask the answer. Sometimes they're like 200 questions long. Ours is one. We got one question in the Karn family catechism, and it goes like this. Why does daddy love you so much? The answer is short. My kids have it memorized. Because I'm your son or because I'm your daughter. They hear this uh, certainly on a weekly basis. Often the little ones, as I put them down, I pull the blankets up and I say, I have a question for you. Why does daddy love you so much? And she says to me, because I'm your daughter. And what I'm trying to communicate, I want to ingrain in their heart, is that my love for them is not based upon their behavior, but based upon their position. That I do not love them because of what they do. I love them for, what, for who they are because of the relationship that we have, and that relationship will last regardless of their behavior. I've learned this from my father who is in heaven, that his love for me is not based upon what I do, but based upon my position in Christ. And so I want my children to know that, that I want them to know that I will always love them no matter what they do. We need to love the child we have, not the children, child we want. Number seven, thou shalt pray with them. We pray with them, pray for them. We we often, uh, times when we uh, put them to bed, uh, especially the little ones, we lay my hand upon their head and pray for them or hand on their shoulder. I think teens would like this as well. Just, just don't assume just because you have teenagers, they don't want to hear their daddy pray for them. If they're on their way to bed, you might say, hey, sweetheart, can I pray for you before you go to bed? And you just pour out your heart to God for them. Father, I thank you so much for my son. I thank you so much for my daughter. May they never doubt I love them. May you watch over them while they sleep. I know you're not going to sleep tonight. 
and you pray for them, right? Listen, when you can't talk to your children about God, you can talk to God about your children, and you could do it while your children are listening. Number eight, thou shalt instruct them in Scripture. They need to see Dad open the Bible. They need to see Dad share with them Scripture. And again, I, I, I hesitate even to use personal examples, but um, this, is, this is what I draw from. When we open the Bible in the house, I do, um, dads, I do zero preparation before I do it. I don't sit down and write a study. I don't do any. I open the Bible, and I read a passage, and my children know that they are going to listen uh, for one thing they heard, one thing they thought was interesting, one question they have, and I just go around. I start with the youngest one. I say, tell me something you heard. And my three-year-old says, you said donkey, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, she's, but she's listening to the Bible. She's, she's tuning into scripture. And then when I get to like the 15-year-old son, I want him to give me something better than donkey. But, you know, right? And so, like, he'll, they'll ask questions. And, well, Dad, I heard this, but I don't understand the light of this. And before you know it, we've had like a 10, 12-minute just discussion on Scripture with like no preparation. But this wonderful time as a family's just thinking about the Bible together as Dad does his best to, to lead them. They need, we need to instruct them in Scripture. And, and I'll tell you, for some of, some of you, you know, I just heard the baby crying. Some of you uh, have little, little ones. And here's the stock tip for you, right? This is, the get, this is the $5 for Apple share, right? Get in early. Your little children will believe what you tell them, right? And you want to make an imprint on them. Like, can't start too early. I mean, Paul will write of Timothy that you have known Scripture from infancy, which will make you wise unto salvation, right? You begin early, right? You can move a tree when it's young and it's thin, but once it's big, you can't budge that thing, right? And so we want to start early. Your kids will soak up the word like a sponge. It's never too early to start. Number nine, thou shalt take them to church, which sounds like something a pastor would say, right? Okay. But they need to learn that God's people Ever since God had a people, God got, formed his people at the foot of Mount Sinai, and ever since he's had a people, they have gathered. That's not our idea. It's not my idea. I'm a pastor. I need people to gather to hear me preach. It's God's idea. They need to understand that God's people gather because God is worthy of our praise. We offer him our prayers as a people, and he speak to us, speaks to us through his word. And so they need to hear that. Let that be a priority. Don't let them give you the homework cop-out. I got too much schoolwork, Dad. Don't, it's, it's more important than that. Right? There was someone once said, what good does, what is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world? What is a prophet of man if he gets all A's and gets into Duke University, right? But forfeits his own soul. Let him know, let, you shall take him to church. Lastly, perhaps most importantly, Dad's, Moms, thou shalt be a joyful and a hopeful Christian. The most important thing you can do for your kids is to be a real Christian, to be a Christ follower. One pastor said the most important strategy for rearing children is to become a new man in Christ, whose hope and happiness and confidence are in God. You looking for a mission? something to give yourself to, something worthy of your life, walk with God in front of your children. Let them see what it looks like to be a Christ follower, and you will encourage your children well. Of course, I hope you know 
God as your father. I mentioned earlier in the beginning of this message as I close now. Um, only those who have faith in Christ know God as father. And even in thinking about the fatherhood of God, I'm reminded, uh, even in light of the meal we're about to celebrate, it was in Gethsemane, wasn't it, that Jesus was there praying on the evening of his crucifixion. And, and he prayed. You know that prayer. He says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And of course, it was not the will of the Father to take the cup, which is a reference to the wrath of God that we poured out on Jesus on the cross. No, Jesus was to drink the Father's wrath for us by dying on the cross, and Jesus obeyed. Jesus was the obedient son. He obeyed the Father in everything, and in doing so, he pleased the Father. And not just pleased the Father, it is through the obedience of the Son that we might become children of God. That Jesus certainly is our Lord, but is also our older brother. We have access to this adoption into God's family by faith. The Bible says, and if you're not a Christian, listen very carefully. I'm going to pray in just about 30 seconds. Listen very carefully. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to talk more about that, I would love to be able to meet with you and be able to talk to you what that looks like. Well, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word this, this morning. I, I, don't, I don't think you want us filled with guilt. I don't think you want to discourage us. I, please forgive me if I've been discouraging I think you want us to be thrilled with the opportunity in front of us. I think you want us to forget what lays behind and strive towards what lays ahead. That we would be excited beyond measure at the privilege of being a dad. And that we would be delighted beyond measure at the privilege of being a child who has a dad and gets to please you by obeying him. So I pray that we would give ourselves fully to this, and that we would do so in light of who Christ is, that we would see how Jesus has done this and how we have gained by it, and that because of what Christ worked for us, we would long to follow in his footsteps. I pray that in light of this message, maybe dads, a couple dads start getting together, helping each other. I pray that teenagers, as about 30 of them go to camp uh, this, uh, tomorrow morning, that they would, when they're hanging out, they would help each other to obey their parents rather than the opposite. We're thankful for our kids. All the dads here are thankful for our kids. We're thankful for their for their, their joy and their vision. And we simply pray this morning that in all our children's life that their joys and dreams and hopes would be ultimately found in Jesus. So help us to do all that we can and all that we should because of what you have done for us that all may come to know Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.